Hey, podcast listeners, before we dive into the episode this week, I just want to remind you that you can get all of our interviews completely ad-free, along with many other perks, by joining Ruben Select. Head on over to patreon.com slash Report to check out the awesome community that we're building over there. One more time, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Report. And now on to the show. All right, we are on location at the Blaze Studios here in Dallas, Texas, and I'm sitting across from uh, Mr. Blaze, Glenn Beck. How are you, sir? How's it going, my man? Good to see you. Thank you for letting us do an on-location shoot. I feel... Not a problem. I know you're here for about 10 minutes, and then you're, I think you're going to probably be on the moon and then a stop at the Mars, and... You know a little bit about traveling a lot. I do. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in between a thousand things here. It's uh, great. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, I want to spend a lot of time talking about this book here, okay. Addicted to Outrage. Um, but let's just do everything. Yeah. So right now, we're about two and a half weeks away from this midterm election. Mm-hmm. I suspect something completely bananas over the next two and a half weeks. I mean, you can already just see between between the Kavanaugh stuff that we've been dealing with, the general outrage and all the things you're writing about here. So here, we, I just said this to a group of friends the other day. I think at this point, a spaceship could appear, okay? <laughs> and, and hover over New York City and it'd be like, huh? I mean, I yeah. don't know what would surprise me now. It, well, we'd be arguing about the gender pronouns yeah. of the aliens, you know. <laughs> I know, I yeah. know. It's, it's absolutely insane how everything is, everything is upside down. Everything is upside down. Do you, think, do you think we're in a unique time? Because that's one of the questions. Yeah. When I'm out there with Peterson, often people say, okay, it's, you know, everyone says we're, we've never been more partisan and we're angrier than ever and all of these things. But does something about this seem unique? Yeah. I, I'm a I'm a glutton for history. Yes, yes. And uh, it we have been in perilous times before. I don't think we've hit the civil war uh, confrontations yet, but we are approaching it. Do you think we really are? Because I yeah, I do. Because I'm actually worried about the amount of people. I see this on Twitter all the time. People saying, "Oh, civil war is coming." You know, like yeah, there's this I, like murmur about. What would be the most horrific possible outcome of all of this? Remind me to talk about the window, because okay. I think we have a window right yeah. now. Um, but we have been, uh, we've been worse. I mean, if you look at Jefferson and Adams, you know, Adams, Adams was called a hermaphrodite by Jefferson. Jefferson, uh, Jefferson uh, his campaign uh, um, called him a hermaphrodite. Adams said back... That if you elect Thomas Jefferson, there will be blood in the streets and the heads of our children and your daughters will be on pikes into every town. So we've had rhetoric like this before. Ironically, I'd be thrilled to vote for either one of those <laughs> guys. That would were, be like, I'll take either. I don't yeah. care. Heads on pikes, yeah. that would be fine. Yeah. But, but it all does go to just in the last couple of weeks, you know, there was this Hillary Clinton line on CNN talking to Christiane Amanpour mm-hmm. about how we can't be civil because these these so, people, meaning the conservatives or Republicans, are so against our values. I mean, this is dangerous stuff. So here's the difference. Um, we have been in these places before, but we knew our founding documents. We knew who we served or who our God was. And I don't know who our God is now. I mean, is it money? Is it fame? Is it anger? I don't know what our God is now. Um, we knew... Wait, can you, well, let me pause you there for a sec. So when you, when you say that about what the founders believed, now they were also saying separation of church and state the whole time. So if, if you were just laying out what they believed, when you say we knew believe, who our God was... Um, so George Washington, they did believe in the division of church and state. Clearly, I do too. Yeah. Um, that just means if you're an atheist, you're an atheist. We're friends. We're cool. Let's get along. But if you're a God person, you do your God thing. You do your atheist thing. <laughs> right. Do we have what Adam Smith called moral sentiment in common? Yes. Capitalism uh, has lost the first volume of Adam Smith. The second volume is Wealth of Nations. Mm -hmm. The first volume is Moral Sentiments. And that says, look, this is an invisible hand. And the market is powerful. And it will create whatever you want. Be careful. 
what you ask for. Make sure you are always tempering the moral sentiment. Make sure that you're good, decent, fair-minded people. We've lost that. We're losing it, I should say. Um, And I'm concerned, and I, I talk about this a bit in the book. I've seen this coming for almost two decades, and I have been warning against it. And for the very first time, I'm at the place where I'm on the air now saying, this is the time. This is the time that I said would come. And now is the time for you to remember who you are. Um, And our outrage is taking us away from it. So as I've looked at this for so long, I have... I have studied revolutions. I have I've studied giant movements of chaos. I I can tell you about you know uh, the um, I think it was the Red Month uh, in the 1930s. I I can show you what's happened. But there were three people in four people in grand movements that have gotten it right. There was Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. There was Martin Luther King. There was Gandhi. Then there's Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, do you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was? I don't think so. Okay. Bonhoeffer lost. Okay. Bonhoeffer was a, um, a, a pastor, I think Lutheran in Germany. He uh, was on the air when the Fuhrer declared he was Fuhrer. He was taken, his broadcast was cut in short because he was doing a broadcast called The Fuhrer Principle. This is wrong. Don't go this way. On Kristallnacht, the very next morning, he was shopping in those stores, those Jewish stores. Um, Pacifist. He tried to turn the Germans back and say, stop it, stop, stop, you're going the wrong way. He couldn't do it. He eventually escaped from uh, Germany, was in New York, not here very long because he felt guilty. How can I leave my country when it's in this much trouble? He went back. He realized there's no, there, nobody's going to stop this guy. Maybe violence is the answer. He was involved in um, one of the attempts to kill um, Hitler. He went to a concentration camp. He died. He was executed like five days before Hitler died. Uh-huh. Here's the thing. If you read his writings, he's Gandhi. He's Jesus. He's Martin Luther King. He's, he's, he's got it. And I've I read him and read him and read him. How, why did he fail? Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to stand is to stand. He's got it. Love one another. Don't tur- Stop playing the organ so you can hear the, the train going to Auschwitz. Okay? He failed because Germans had already gone over the cliff. They had, because of World War I, then the Treaty of Versailles, then the 1920s, they had already lost their Judeo-Christian principles. They had lost their center. Remember, if it wasn't for England, Gandhi would have failed. People think of Gandhi as starving himself to get the British to comply. No, he starved himself to say to his own people, do not rise up in anger. They were this close to losing, and he knew it. He was appealing to the sense of decency and fairness of the British culture. So he knew the people, because of their Judeo-Christian worldview, would see this oppression and go, that's wrong. If we, we have a window, and it's mm-hmm. closing. Yeah. If we give in to our anger, our outrage, and we say, you know what? I can't take it anymore. We will lose. And that window of the Judeo-Christian values <laughs> will close. And then we're done. Yeah, it's so interesting because one of the themes that keeps coming up as I'm on this tour is people keep asking me about this. How much worse is it going to get before there's some sort of reset and all of these things? And it's like, man, I don't want two months from now or four years from now to look back at right before the 2018 elections and go, boy, weren't those the good old days? Because we've gone on on the train to hell. So do you think there's actually no way to stop it at this point? Do you think that the the energy behind it? So here's, here's the scenarios that I'm looking at yeah. right now. If I'm war gaming, yeah. okay? None of these. I know the prediction business always works out, so <laughs> yeah, let's see right. what you got here. So if you're war gaming, yeah. let's look at the next election. What happens? 
Well, the Democrats are probably going to win the House. Okay? If they win the House, you know they're going to at least subpoena his tax records. He's not going to give up tax records. That'll be brought to the Supreme Court. Remember that, marker number one. That's day number one. Day number two, they don't have any place they can go on impeachment. They have to impeach him. Even if they don't have anything. Right, they've already said it. They have to do they it. They have to do it. It'll be the Senate that will throw, they'll throw it to the Senate. That's where the trial happens. So impeachment just means we're taking you to court. Mm-hmm. Okay, So that's day number two. Day number three... Uh, Trump has already filed with the Supreme Court saying, I'm not, I'm not testifying. I'm not turning over my tax records. I'm not doing this. Okay. Well, Kavanaugh has already said he's already seen that. That's a distraction. The president shouldn't have to. So day number three, when Trump has brought it to the Supreme Court, then the House says, wait a minute, Kavanaugh should uh, recuse himself. We're looking at a year yeah. where uh, the three branches of government... The administration, uh, plus the House and the Senate, both of them will be fighting with each other. They'll be fighting with this branch, and they'll be fighting with the Supreme Court. When Kavanaugh doesn't recuse himself, they will file articles of impeachment for him. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're leading all of these ideas already. I mean, yeah, these ideas are out. trickling out yeah, already. This is yeah. going to happen. Yeah. So now you have the press, the fourth branch, already in chaos, has, has absolutely no credibility at all. It's deranged. And that pushes what you would call the fifth branch or the first branch, the people, into the streets. How do you solve that? All right, so before we get to the streets, can I give you the one option that I think maybe saves us from all that? Yeah. Which is that the Republicans win, or at least hold, in the midterms. Thus, finally, as long shot as this is, finally the Democrats go okay, we've got to drop identity politics. We've got to get away from this socialist, Democrat, Democrat, socialist nonsense. I, there's no evidence that they would ever look in the mirror. If anything, they've only doubled down every time. Yeah, but I, I see I, that as the only out okay. to where you're going with So this. I think if you have, if they don't win the House, if you win the House, God forbid if they win the House and the Senate, then it's chaos. But if, you win the, if they win the House, the Democrats, that scenario is going to play out in some form or yeah. another. So that just gets worse and worse and worse. I, I was talking to a friend of mine just last night about this, and he said, you know, just exactly what you said. And I followed it up with what you said. Show me the I evidence. I know, there's no evidence. I, I am Spartacus is all of a sudden going to say, <laughs> okay, I'm not Spartacus. Yeah. You know, I'm the carpenter from, you know, uh, from Nazareth. No. This interview with Glenn Beck is brought to you by our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. When our founding fathers created the Constitution, the first thing they did was ensure the rights of an individual to share ideas without limitation by the government. And you might know how much I value free speech by now. In the Second Amendment, the founders guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility, and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional-grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it is their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable, life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out 
out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash Bravo Company USA. And now back to the interview. Wasn't that the danger all along? And this, this is directly linked to your book. I mean, I remember before the election, I kept saying, and this is when I still considered myself on the left and, and someone that had basically only voted Democrat my entire life. I think the one time I voted Republican was uh, Bloomberg's third term in New York City after he had flipped like 87 (laughs) times over or something. I'm not even sure if he was Republican at that point. Um, But that I kept saying before the election, if you keep calling Trump Hitler, then no matter what he does and no matter what reality is, you'll never be able to get yourself out of that little thing place you've painted yourself. And that's where we are. So, you know, what's crazy. I lived this. I lived this. I I said, I'm the guy who got in so much trouble saying, I think Barack Obama may be a racist. Now, I immediately corrected it in that on the spot and said, that's not quite right. I now understand. I explain it in the book. I now understand how to express that. I wasn't up on anti-colonialism. I certainly wasn't up on Mm -hmm. postmodernism. So I'm hearing all these terms that mean nothing to me, and yet they're always attacking groups. To me and to a lot of people in the country, that's the definition of racist. Yeah. Okay? But I didn't understand the difference. The the other part. The other part of it. Okay? It's now social justice. Okay? Well, social justice seems wrong to me. That's how I defined it then. That was so divisive when I said that. And I was really, at the time, tr- struggling to figure out what is happening. How is, who is this guy? Um, and I got more and more strident uh, and didn't make a lot of friends on the left. Okay? <laughs> yeah. It didn't work. It didn't work. My base got stronger. My base learned things. But my base also as things went on, got more and more angry, as did I, why isn't this working? Well, because you cannot call people names and expect them to come over. We have, I just saw a new poll today that shows, I think it's 8% of the American public, 8,000 people interviewed, 8% of the American public is the diehard progressive radical, mm-hmm. okay? Um, the, uh, the never give up, conservative, traditional conservative, is about 29%, okay? They're both on the edges, 27, 29%, somewhere in that area. Still on the edges. The vast majority is now being called the exhausted class. (laughs) And it's the class of people, and I'm in this. Guys, it doesn't have to be this way. I don't, I'm tired of this. I don't, I, not everybody is a racist. Not everybody is a homophobe. It's, stop it. Stop it. The Kavanaugh, Jordan Peterson got into trouble. And yeah. I, I tweeted, yes, he did. tweeted back to him. I think this might be the first time I disagree. But I put, I think, because... Well, for people that didn't see it, basically okay. he said that what would probably be best, and he did this in a tweet, which is never yeah, the best way to do it. Bad idea. And he's already, he's already had his mea yep, culpa yep, yep. on that and, and released a, a correct, yep. uh, not a correction, a clarification in right. a blog form. Uh, but basically he said the best outcome would be that Kavanaugh gets confirmed, but then steps down. And what he meant was that wasn't saying that Kavanaugh did do anything or didn't do anything, but if there's any chance for a little bit of healing where everyone gets a little egg on their face but also gets a little bit of dignity to walk away with and the country doesn't come apart at the seams. That was what he tried to do in a tweet, and in his blog post, he's acknowledged that trying to do that in a tweet, probably not the best thing. Trying to do that in a tweet um, where the people who are reading it are generally all about politics and tearing each other apart. Yeah. Bad idea. That's why I put, I think, because (laughs) knowing Jordan, the little that I do, he's a deep philosophical thinker. So my my feeling was, and it turns out it was right, that he's looking at that and saying, okay, in in a normal world, in a good world, where we're all really trying to do the right thing, and if we really were all trying to do the right thing, I agree with him. It would have been the best thing to have Jordan say, or to have Kavanaugh say, thank you, thank you. Now, let's bring the country back together, nominate somebody else, and let's go through it. 
But the other side would have gone through exactly the same thing. You would have rewarded them in the end because they got it. Because we're talking about the machines of destruction. So reality doesn't play a role. At some point, this 70% of America is going to stand up and say, shut up, both of you. Are you shocked how many people in that 70% are just afraid to do that? Because when we do these meet and greets after the, the Peterson events, I think the number one question I get asked is, what can I do? I'm afraid to speak. And I cannot, I, I mean, I see this, you know, from people that I'm sitting this close to, and I see this look in their eyes of fear. And it's like, I don't think I'm that brave. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't. I'm just doing it. I can't explain it. I, but I don't wake up every morning and I'm like, what am I going to do today to fight Google and fight the yeah. political powers? Or right. I'm just like, I'm just doing what I think is right. That's yeah. it. That, so that goes to, I brought my family 2011 to Auschwitz. And I did it, again, because I see over the horizon, I think. And... We stood outside of the gates, and um, we had a prayer, and then I said, okay, we are here because we have to look at the ugliest thing man has done, and we have to decide who we are, who we're going to be. Because if you weren't prepared, and I don't mean prepare for that kind of stuff, I mean really know who you are, you will not stand when the jackbooted thugs come down the street. You have to know who you are and what you believe. So I had them read a story of the righteous of the nation. They could pick anyone who saved Jews and really try to get into their head. I lined up in, uh, a, just a family kind of conversation with this sweet woman. She just died, I think, last week. Mm. She's 90 years old. She was a Christian. She was 16 years old when she saved the first Jew. Her whole family did it. It was remarkable. Um, and we, we talked about it. Two things I learned on that trip. One, as we were leaving, I said to her, look, I have a responsibility that's different than most because I speak to so many people. And I said, I believe that people have that tree of righteousness in them. I think they have that goodness. They want to do the right thing. How do I water it? She told me something so profound. It's so game-changing. She, she looked at me so puzzled, and she said, you misunderstand. The righteous didn't suddenly become righteous. They just refused to go over the cliff with the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is remember what you've always believed was true. And then just stand and just go, mm, no, you guys are crazy. You don't have to be a hero. You're not a hero. She was looking at me. She wouldn't let me film her. She only let me take one picture of her. She wanted nothing because she's like, I'm not a hero. I just remembered what was right. That's remarkable. Do you think that the default position of humanity is to cower? That in, that in these moments, it seems like it's a lot easier to cower, right? I mean, even now. Like, that's the thing. When people say this to me about how do I get brave or whatever, it's like, we live in the freest place in the history of the world. You need bravery and if you're, if you're afraid now, imagine the second that thing gets turned a little bit, yeah. how afraid you're going to be. So it seems like, like fear, and, and I'm sure there's a psychological component to this, that fear does something in the brain that maybe bravery or... Or maybe it really is about just knowing so, what you are and what you're made let of. Let me tell you two stories. Um, uh, first, fear shuts your brain down. Okay, It shuts reason down. You're in fight or flight. And that's a good thing because you don't want to be going, well, I don't know. Should I hit him a little harder? You <laughs> right, just you gotta, are swinging. So yeah. fear and anger, really bad. And that's why we're addicted to outrage. We will swing got to get shake that or you won't think it's biological <sighs> two stories um, the other person we met with in Poland was the chief rabbi and he said I think it was 7,000 there were 7,000 people that stood and I was I mean when you have you been to Auschwitz no I haven't 
When you go, there's churches, I mean a block away. There are houses everywhere, and they're old. They were there. And I left there, and I was enraged. I I remember uh, crying and, and looking at the houses and screaming in my head, where the hell were you? Where were you? I meet with him, and I said, how? Out of all the millions of people. And he said, you're thinking that's a small number? Hmm. He said, that's an incredible number of people. Hmm. People, you're in a scary movie, you look away. When something like this is coming, it is human nature to look away or to dismiss and you it's 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 um we have this gift of fear that warns us but we use logic and sometimes we use it just to protect ourselves because dave i don't think people are afraid of standing i think they're afraid of knowing the truth you look at the people who stand the people who stand are the ones who are going, you know, I learned something new. I learned something. It's changed me. They're not standing. You're not standing because you're brave and I'm going to take a stand. You're saying, wait a minute. I just, scales fell off my eyes. I just learned something. When you are inquisitive, when you are based in, wait a minute, I, I, I really want to know. You have already prepared to... Yeah, but do you really? Mm-hmm. You and I, I know you know this. I think we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. I went through it and you went through it. You do come to a point to where you're saying, if I take another step, yeah. everything in my life could change. My friends might change. They might look at me differently. And you take that step and say, yeah, I want to know the truth. That's where people fail. They, if you can't take that leap, and that's why I, I really think you're seeing people like you, you're seeing the inquisitive, because that's in their nature, to question, question, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense. And if you're like that, you most likely have already passed that line of uncomfortability, because you've had things that you realized and you went, oh, crap, okay, well, I guess I don't believe that anymore. Yeah, and I just don't know how I could wake up and put stuff in my hair and look in the mirror and go... That's why people. I just don't know how I could do it, but I know some people do it, and then I get. I think this is what Jordan would describe as sort of the slow road to hell. You will just diminish yourself and diminish yourself every yeah. every day of your life until you the end. To, you have to stop looking. You have to turn around because it will always present you with the option. Oh, you saw it. You looked out and you saw them just lining up a family of Jews shooting them. Okay, now what do you do? Once you see it. It presents you with the choice, do I go back to sleep or do I stand? So I know, every, you know it's very easy to always be like, okay, both sides are going crazy. They're equally horrible and all of those things. Like that's sort of like the easy, the easy way of doing it. I'm not saying that's, that's what you're yeah, doing yeah. here, but that's sort of the easy way to do it. And we all fall in that trap sometimes, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. just for brevity's sake, sometimes it's easier sure. to say that. But it seems to me that for all the people that, that absolutely despise Trump, that, that hate everything about the right, the right basically has been in power for the last two years. There's a lot of good things happening in the country related to economics and the fact that we're not entering foreign wars and there's some interesting things happening with North Korea and a series of other things. And the state has not used its power to silence anyone. What I fear, and this is why I don't think it's an even, oh, both sides are crazy thing, is that the left is about state power. And what I fear is they've said, well, half of the country is Nazis. We cannot be civil with them because they're coming to get us. And if these people took power, well, now we have everything that you just laid out because they don't mind using the apparatus of the state right. to accomplish their goals. And I'm not saying Republicans are always right about this stuff and they, no, no, no. they screw up all Look. the little government things that they should right. care about and all of that. The left has become everything they said the Tea Party was, okay? <laughs> that we weren't. We weren't. Um, they have become violent. They have become unreasonable. They want to silence people, and they will silence people. That's why you're seeing people start, begin to stand up and say, uh-uh. Um, however, 
it's one of my fears with Donald Trump. And the great thing is he says a lot and most of it never happens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? My fear is um, he has said, you know, maybe we should look into the license of these companies. You know, I don't think he means it, but you signal that to people on the right or the left. Mm -hmm. You're you're basically saying, yeah, that's on the that's on the field Mm -hmm. of play. It's not on the field of play. Um, Although there's an interesting libertarian argument whether the government should be giving licensing. No, no, no. I don't think they should have license at all. (laughs) Right, right, right. I I certainly don't want the government to say, you know what? You've been a little harsh, so I'm going to look into your license. No. Right. Not at all. Get them out of that. Here's Here's the thing that people aren't thinking about. Government is about to become, unless it marries into it, Pretty inconsequential because it will never be able to keep up with technology. So is that the saving grace here? No. <laughs> not not that I was going to give Google a lot of... The left yeah. is concentrating their power in Silicon Valley. And that's where you can really silence people. The guy who wrote um, IBM and the Holocaust, um, gosh, I can't remember his name. Really brilliant guy, well thought out. Um, we were talking and um, talking about how the Germans, how they silence people and how they, they cordon people off and then just get smaller and smaller groups. And then they eventually put you behind a wall in a ghetto. Well, they would build the wall higher and higher so people couldn't hear or see. Isn't that what Google and Facebook are doing we're building digital ghettos we have the ability now you can speak all you want dave but i'm changing the algorithm and you're not going to be heard i mean you look at what the deal with facebook was i promote them i give them my 10 million listeners and i say hey you can find me at facebook let's communicate then they take those listeners that said, I want to hear from him. Yeah. And then they change the algorithm, and I can't communicate to my own people. Yeah, and we know this is happening across the board. You, the board. you probably saw my insane tweet thread about all of, I just started retweeting all of these people, mm-hmm. real people, not Russian bots right. Right. and avatars. I was taking right. purposely real people with real names with real pictures, and they're all saying they're unsubscribed. There were people who pay it wasn't just the free people. It was the people mm-hmm. who pay for YouTube Red or YouTube mm-hmm. TV still getting unsubscribed. And it's like, what did we all sign up for here? But dare I do a, you, you like the biblical analogies. I'll do one here. There was David versus Goliath. And I think Dave can take down Google. This Dave. I think there's a chance. I mean, I think that story, I'm being slightly hyperbolic, obviously, (laughs) but I think that these things have become so big. I mean, this, I guess, is what the essence of the story was, right? That this Goliath, this Google has become so big that it will crumble under its own, under the weight of its own crap, basically, that there will be enough people inside the, the broken machine that will wake up that... I hope. That individuals, basically, I hope, I, I hope. Look, I all hope. you got is hope, right? Like, yeah, and you're, you're three to five years away from it being a cage. I mean, their behavior with China, which I outline in the book, is pretty horrific. Um, what, China, what the road China is going down is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And Google is right there with them. Um, and that is evil. <laughs> that is evil. They say, don't be evil. Well, that is the definition of it. Um, and if they just slowly, you know, the guy who closes the door on the gas chamber was most likely a guy that was fixing trucks before the war and a normal guy. Mm-hmm. You don't suddenly become evil. You slowly move into it, especially if you're surrounded by a group of people that are all absolutely convinced that they are right and the other voice is wrong. And therefore, we just have to filter them out with AI and the way they are gobbling, um, it's really disturbing. And the problem is going to happen, you know, we're going to start hitting um, massive job loss, Mm -hmm. probably 2020, 2021, 22. That's when you're going to really start to feel the effects of of AI. Um, When that happens, if you look at history, and we know it, 
all the politicians now are saying, I'm going to get those jobs back from China. Mm -hmm. No, you're not, because they're leaving China because they're getting too expensive in China. So you're not getting those jobs back. And especially because AI and robotics are are growing. We'll have 30% unemployment by 2030. 30% permanent unemployment. So you look at this, what do politicians always do? they got to find a bad guy. Well, right now it's China. But as soon as people realize that, wait a minute, it's Silicon Valley that's taking my jobs, the politician then says, it's those people, those people that are building the robots. Unless those people also see over the horizon and become buddy-buddy with their friends in Washington and they work together. Then you have a uh, surveillance state that I don't think we ever get out of. This episode of The Rubin Report is brought to you by ExpressVPN. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other companies who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take back my privacy using ExpressVPN. To say I travel often is an understatement. I'm always connecting to public Wi-Fi on the go, putting our information at risk. I'm no stranger to hackers from stolen iCloud passwords to attempts to break into my various social media platforms. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is the perfect solution. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Whether you're looking to add a layer of protection to your online shopping information, or if you're trying to watch videos about free speech in a country where speech isn't so free, ExpressVPN is here to help. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Best of all, turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. Securing your data is so easy, there's no reason not to try it. Plus, protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. ExpressVPN is the number one rated VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Ruben. That's easy. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Ruben for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ruben to learn more. And now back to the interview. So I think I, the first time we, we sat down, I think I asked you this, so this seems like the right segue for it. So for everything that we've talked about here and, and the addiction to outrage and all that, there's going to be a certain amount of people that are watching this and going, wait a minute, Glenn Beck was one of the people that was peddling this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, as well, I, I think I know you pretty well right now, and I feel like you are honest in your beliefs, and you've you've had some mea culpas about some of the things you've said. Even just uh, you got into something on Twitter with my friend Majid Nuaz, and you fully he, he sent you a clip of something that you did about him a couple mm-hmm. of years back, and you fully you apologized immediately. You said I'd love to talk to you and learn more, and yeah. all of those things. I just asked that, about him today. Yeah. What is he? Oh, what is he coming in? Yeah, and I know, and I, oh, I loop yeah. you guys in on email, right? So. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you can add to that about just sort of how you've changed? Like, do you remember a moment? Was there something about that? Because maybe there are people that are going down that road right now that still want more of the outrage and still are, still are you know, as they call it, shit posting on Twitter and the rest of it. Um, if you were trying to get somebody to turn back. <sighs> no, because there were really personal experiences. I went from the, you know, that, that global poll that comes out around Christmas time, you know, uh, most admired man in the world. Yeah. Okay. I was tied with the Pope just behind Nelson Mandela. Okay? That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> Twelve months later, I'm no longer on that list, yeah. and I'm hated. Yeah. Now, I was saying the same things on CNN that I was saying on Fox. Okay? So, that was confusing. Um, and it was... Uh, you know, you can't be hated by half of the country. I mean, unless you're just a, you know, maniacal, you know, egomaniac that's just beyond any kind of redemption. You cannot be hated by half of the country. 
you know, a, a false hero for the other half of the country and not go, okay, I'm not that. I don't think I'm that. Yeah. So who am I? What part of it? Most people will go, well, they spent millions of dollars to destroy my reputation, to take things out of context, and they did. But I also did things because my philosophy at the time was, if I can get enough eyeballs, if I can get people to watch, which puts me in Lederhosen, you know, singing Edelweiss, <laughs> if I can get people to watch, yeah. then I present them with facts and my opinion of where it's going. It, forget about everything else. They'll hang on to the facts, and someone in the press will go, I hate that. I'm going to prove him wrong. They never did. Mm -hmm. They never would look at the facts. So this is always where they just want to belittle you and shame just you and silence you. you. And, and, I, and I helped them, mm -hmm. okay? I added to that. So I'm not saying it's somebody else. I am taking my, my responsibility. But the biggest thing is, now on the other side, I, I can look and say, wait, all of you in the press, you said I was the worst. Let, let me go get the transcripts. Hmm. See what I just said? That's what you said to the 10th power right here. It's, it won't work. It's wrong, and it won't work. But nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to look. They, everyone wants to point to the other person. Nobody's willing to go, is it me? But you is think that 70% that you mentioned before maybe is starting to do that a little bit? I mean, again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find how to get out of this thing. Okay. And, and so I think that 70% where I'm meeting, I know it's a select group because they're, yeah, coming, yeah. they're coming to see me it in Jordan. It doesn't take 70%. But, yeah. It takes 17. Yeah. 10 committed. 10% committed changes the world. 17 is your tipping point. So it doesn't take all of us. Revolution was fought by about 20% of America. Okay. Those were the ones who said, I believe in this. <clears throat> we, have to, we have to understand that a lot of the book is about postmodernism and how that works and what its goals are. What does postmodern even mean? What is, what's the modern world? It's not about a machine. It's about the scientific process. It's about exploration and empirical data and testing A and B and living with the results. That's what the modern world is. So when you realize... So you would say postmodern really is anti-modern, in essence, yeah, it's, because it's, it's going against the ways that we've been able to measure anything, the way we've been able to... You look can at, only... You can... When you don't understand postmodernism and you read the headline, which I did, math is racist... You either go, these people are out of their fucking minds, and I can't take it anymore. Or you can say, how? How did they get there? When you ask that question, you start to go and peel the layers down, and you see the core of this idea, good or bad, that what came out of the modern era, the Enlightenment, was this. And they say, this is bad. They say, this is bad. That, so, that really is it. Yeah. And anything that holds this up must be destroyed. If that's math, if that's you, doesn't matter. If you understand that it's all about deconstruction, and deconstruction is all about chaos, you must not do anything to hasten the chaos. It, you have to restrain yourself. The best way to fight, this isn't about Gandhi. Oh, I want to be just like Jesus. No, I want to win. Mm -hmm. And the best way to win is to restrain yourself from adding any of the chaos. Be clear, be soft-spoken, be the person that everybody in the room, when everybody is arguing, they kind of look around the room and there's maybe three people over there that are just laughing and having fun and just, because you will be the one that will control the room in the end. Everybody else will kill themselves. But the, the, the majority of people will go, oh, I hate this. And they'll make their way over to you. That's what we have to do. We have to stop fighting on the stupid stuff. The stupid stuff. Gay wedding cakes. 
good God, man. Yeah, They're really. killing homosexuals right now, today, in parts of the country. What do you say we start there? What do you say we talk about something that really makes a difference? Really makes a difference. We'll get to the gay wedding cakes. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Let's, just, let's be good people first. Yeah, it's so interesting how people just don't want to do the intellectual work. And now it's like we have, these, we have these phones, we have endless distractions to the point that perhaps 20 years ago, you might have a moment standing on a corner waiting for a friend to go to dinner where you'd have to think. But we can distract ourselves to the point where we actually never have to think anymore. When, when was the last time you just stood somewhere? I mean, I know you're aware of all of this stuff, but when was the last time you, Glenn Beck, just stood somewhere on the corner waiting for your wife to meet you and you weren't looking at your phone or you weren't, you know... I tried on, to do you know. what you did, but I can't do it for a month. Uh, you I have too to, many employees, that's uh, the problem. Yeah. I, I, I only have like five. You know? I, I, I try to do it once a week. Don't make it every time, but just, I'm not going to be online. Do not pick up your device. Go out on a date with your wife and do not carry a device. Don't have it with you. Um, That's important. And it's important, Dave, because I learned something with my alcoholism. I was struggling with so many things when I was younger. Um, that I didn't want to think about. I didn't want to think about. I didn't want to think about the things that I had done in my life, the things that I was, oh, poor me, about. I just didn't want to think about it. And I would turn on the radio, and I'd turn it up loud, and I'd be driving my car. And I never really consciously connected the two. It got to the point where it was so bad that if I didn't have something to distract, I would literally be by myself and I'd go, la, 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 just to block out my thoughts, okay? That's a problem. And I realized when I was finally no longer, I was sober and not, uh, uh, and not just not drinking, uh, was the time that I was driving someplace, and I must have been driving for about an hour, and I hadn't turned anything on. And I realized at one point I'm just driving, and I kind of come to you know, kind of come to thinking, you know, about what's in the car, what's happening, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what's on the rate. Oh my gosh, I've been alone with myself and my thoughts for an hour. That's a sign of mental health. Yeah, <laughs> we're sick. We're sick. So in the, uh, in the book, in the, in the forward, you uh, very graciously, and I'm humbled that you did it, you included me in a list of names of people that you, uh, that you put in there. Um, and You know, <laughs> Ben had this, and I, wrote, I even wrote to, to Ben, I, I wrote his, an inscription on this page. Yeah. Like two days later, he calls me, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we were with each other for two days, yeah. and he was like, hey, thanks very much. And then, like at midnight one night, I get this text. He's a busy guy. You know? I know. To those who are willing to step out in front of the crowd to question reason and have dangerous conversations, men with whom I may strongly disagree with at times, but will all, I will always consider refounders of reason and contemporary heroes, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein, Sam Harris, Jonathan Sachs, Pendulette, Joe Rogan. So I thought, I don't want to make this about me. So the one that I thought was most interesting there actually was Sam Harris. Because I suspect you guys probably, if he disagrees with Jordan Peterson on everything, pretty much everything, policy, existentialism, meaning of life, the whole damn thing, you guys probably disagree on everything plus one. I I don't know if we went through. No, and I thought, well, this is what it's all about. This this is is what it's all about. So, but would you have ever, I mean, 20 years ago, if you yes. were writing a book, you would, yes. you still would have done that I sort went, of thing? I went, I've often joked that my library is a library of a serial killer. Um, <laughs> because I, I was too broke to actually go get a formal education. So I would go to Barnes & Noble or the library and I'd go, who hates each other? <laughs> this opinion. <laughs> who hates this opinion? That person. And I would read them both. And I would look at them and say, is there any, anything where they intersect? Because that I know is true. If both these people are from opposite ends of the spectrum 
and they both say, this is true. I know that one line in both books is true. Mm -hmm. Okay, So start small and build the basis of truth. And what motivated me was a line from Thomas Jefferson uh, that he wrote to his nephew, Peter Carr. Um, Peter's parents had both died. Um, when his dad was uh, ill, he said, can you please educate my son when he comes of age? So Thomas writes this unbelievable letter. You know, in mathematics, you have to do this. In literature, you have to do this. The last thing is religion. I love it. It's changed my life. Um, when it comes to religion, above all things, fix reason firmly in her seat and question with boldness even the very existence of God. For if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. We break down on the word honest. Mm -hmm. Honest questioning. You and I like each other and get along because you haven't asked me a set-up question, and I've never asked you a set-up question. It's an honest question. Hang on just a second. I have a couple. <laughs> yeah, but, but that, right, but that, that is it. And that's and, good. Yeah. That keeps you young, that keeps you alive. The minute you start, I knew my father was going to die. My father was the kind of guy who always had a book in his back pocket, okay? Self-educated man. And uh, he was always exploring and questioning, and he was so granola, fruit loop, be one with the universe kind of guy. Uh -huh. And um, I call him up. We were best friends for a long time. And um, I'd, I'd call him sometimes two, three times a day. And we just talk about books we're reading and things. And did you hear this opinion? What do you think of this? We talk about the future, the past, all of it. And I said, Dad, I just read this fantastic book. You have to read this. I'm going to send it to you. And he said, mm, that's okay. And I said, what? And he said, I'm tired. I'm tired. I, I think I've learned enough. Huh. Three years later, he was, he was gone. When you, when you are not, we're built to explore. And when you're not exploring, let's left. What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I told my wife when she married me, this is one reason I lucked out so much. <laughs> my wife hates fame. She hates wealth. She hates red carpet. She hates all of it. Because she married me, and her family was like, you're not going to marry him. He is a loser. <laughs> he's, not going to he's not going to amount to anything. Um, when she married me, because I'm the first out of every generation that we can find going back, I'm the first male that has not become a baker. And so I would probably, wow. be, probably be a chef in some place or a... I'm not good at baking. I'm but good. I was just going to say, would you bake me a cake? That's the inherent. No, I'm not good at baking. I am good. <laughs> as my father said, baking, son, is about formulas. Cooking is yeah. winging it. Yeah. And I'm not good with formulas. Yeah. I'm too impatient. You're, you're definitely a, a winging it kind of guy. So generally speaking, do you feel, it's funny, the first half of what we've done here was sort of, fire and brimstone sort of or laying out you know this is this thing could really go off the rails i think the last 20 minutes or so it's been a little more hopeful i'm an optimistic catastrophist you do not want me you do not want to be anywhere near me on the titanic until we get to the iceberg as we're going to the iceberg, I'm saying, are you kidding yeah. me? Have you counted the lifeboats? There's not enough lifeboats. We're headed into cold area. If there is, if these people, they're going to be irresponsible. They're not going to pay attention to the ice, but they're arrogant. They're going to hit the iceberg and Real all going to die. Okay? As soon as we hit that iceberg, I'm there. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Because I believe that when people are awake, they will awaken to who they truly are. And I think Americans are different. We have this spirit in us of exploration. We're the people who cross the oceans. We're the people that cross the Rockies. I have to tell you, if, if I were alive during the, you know, the time when we were exploring, I, de I don't even think I would have made it past the Missouri, but 
definitely I would have gotten to Denver and went, okay, guys, I am not going any, we're not crossing those, <laughs> okay? I always think every time I'm on the, on, uh, what is it, the five uh, that goes by the the Getty Museum, which, which is that the five? Oh, the 405. 405. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time I'm on the 405. We, we bumped to L.A. Suddenly, yeah. yeah. I, I, I see the Getty Museum up there, and I think, if I were a pioneer and I made it this far, I would have built my house in this valley, and people would have been on the top of the hill going, you should see what's on it. And I'd be like, <laughs> I am done. <laughs> but generally, people are explorers, and they're good, and they're... They're hardy, and they want to live. I think they do want to live. And they want to live in peace and harmony. Yeah. I think that about the Palestinians and the Israelis. When if you could, and I've done it, I've done it. When you don't have a camera in somebody's face, and nobody knows you're talking, you sit down in a house of a Palestinian, and most likely average person... They're like, I don't really care. I mean, I just, I want to raise my family. I just want to be left alone. I want to be able to eat. I will, maybe a little extra money so a wife and I can go off for a nice weekend. That's people. It's when everybody starts telling them, it's them, you know, that's keeping you down. That's when there's trouble. Do you find it weird in a way that um, we're thought of as political beasts? Because in a certain way, we really haven't talked about politics here. And I find now I'm probably less interested in politics now today than I've ever been in my adult life in a bizarre way. You know what I mean? Like I, st I still love it at some level, but like what we're doing here and what I think the real conversation happening in the world right now is, is not political. There's a class of people that are trying to make everything political and keep you confused and controlled. Including the Russians. You see the latest? The oh. Russians, believe it or not, the Russians... One of, their, one of their campaigns happened when, uh, I don't remember which, was it the last, the last Star Wars movie, I think. They oh, oh I, I did see this. They, they said that uh, The Last Jedi, that it right. was Russian bots. Right. But it, well, that's what Ryan Johnson, I guess. Right. But it was, there is evidence that they were, they were politicizing the movie, that they were, they were putting out, oh, you're not going to like that? robot because that robot's all about social justice yeah. i remember seeing it the movie did suck can we you know no, yeah, please you're with yeah. me on this no, okay, I'm, okay. I'm with you yeah, but yeah. but what i'm saying is we have outside influences that are trying to make everything about politics read the book defying hitler it's the best best explanation of what happened in germany ever written by a guy at the time as a warning to the West going, you don't know what, you don't know where we've been. You don't know what's happening here. Warning. And so he, he really gives you a, a, a look at what was happening prior to, and you can see it. You're like, oh my gosh, that's the World Trade Center going down. Oh my gosh, that's this. You can see it. We're repeating it. And he says, right, right around 1933, nothing is not political. There is mm. not one topic that is political. When did this happen to us? It's incredible. I mean, just, you know, I never watch cable news anymore, and I don't even watch sports channels anymore because it's all political. But when I'm doing cardio, I'll just flip channels. And everything you go to is political. The view is now always political if you're watching women's, you know, basically women's television in the morning. The, the ESPN now is political all the time. I mean, every channel. So you, you probably turn on the food channel, and there's some political situation happening. Let me there. tell you something that I've never said out loud, only person I think that even knows it in my own company uh -oh. is Stu, my executive producer. I couldn't tell you any of the names of the people that are running for House and Senate. I'm on talk radio. I don't care. I don't care. I pay somebody to look at that. Tell me, what's the balance of the House for the audience? It does not affect me one iota except in the big picture which movement is moving? I, I just, it, it's a waste of our time. Think of how many man hours America has lost in the last 15 years. Think of what we could have done with all of this time. Forget about the money. Is, is that the best argument for basically sort of classical liberalism or libertarianism? That if we could just rein this thing in, 
that not only could you live however you wanted to live, basically, if, if the government was just pretend, protecting your, your life and your property, your, and rights. your rights, your rights, right? That not only would that be good because you could do what you want, but it would actually, it would save you'd you money. Heal. and save, but, but yeah. You'd heal. Yeah. You'd still have it, you'd have it still on the, the local side. Which would be great. That, that would actually, right. Yeah, right? I mean, but you'd, uh, what I mean is you'd still have people who tried to take the local area and they'd be the big boss of the area. So you'd have those things. You'd have but at least with. you'd have a little more control over you could, that. You could control it or you could move get, to the next town. Yeah. You know what I mean? San Francisco can be as weird as it <laughs> wants to be. They could live in, you know, six feet of human poop. That's fine if that's what you want to do. You know there's an app? For the human poop, did you know that? I'm not kidding. There's actually an app that tells you where human poop is on the streets in San Francisco. Literally, Glenn Beck. It's insane. It's insane. I, I, I remember saying, I remember saying to people, there's going to come a time when you will not recognize your country. What you thought was solid will be liquid. What you thought was real will be false. You're not going to recognize it. We're not only so far past that point now to where you're like, I don't even know who anyone is. I don't know what is real. What's, I don't know up and down anymore. We're so far past that. But what's incredible, and this is a good thing or could be a good thing, because of technology, by 2030, you're not going to recognize anything. Nothing will be the same. Nothing will be the same. It will be the difference between looking at our lives in 2030, looking back and going, Dave, you remember 2018 when we sat? It will be as different then as if we were sitting in now and going, man, can you imagine what 1920 was like? It's going to be that different. You know, this reminds me of a, a line I interviewed Peter Thiel a couple of weeks ago, and he said that um, crypto is for libertarians and AI is for authoritarians. And I think that that sort of gets to the heart of what you're saying, yes. because maybe what's going to happen yes. here is that as our institutions, our political institutions, yes. academic institutions, media institutions, as they become so big... They can't sustain themselves anymore, so maybe we will sort of break off into smaller communities, whatever that means, that's and we'll what sort this of... That's about. That's, yeah. what the, that's what the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution encouraged. Encouraged. Break off, do your own thing. You should be a little laboratory. Be a little laboratory. You come up with something great. I'm sure the other states and the other cities will adopt it if... If it works, we'll all love it. Yeah. Stop, stop. It's, it's not one experiment. Why are we so millions. Why are we so afraid of that? Because I push that idea constantly, and, and it's like, you know, just that the, the, that the laboratory should exist so that if you want low taxes, you go here, but then if that screws over the schools, then go somewhere else, or whatever it is, that that play. But people are really afraid of that, that somehow sure. we're not actually America if we don't live under the same exact laws everywhere, which, as you said, is the antithesis of, of the yeah. founding documents. I think people just have been convinced that people are not trustworthy. Well, people aren't trustworthy if they never get in trouble. If they never, banks are not trustworthy if they never have to pay for their own mistakes. They're not trustworthy. Um, when you have to pay for your own mistake, you learn. Yeah. And people generally become trustworthy. You brought up Peter Thiel. People ask me all the time. Are you concerned about deplatforming? Yes, I'm concerned about deplatforming, big time. And especially, Dave, with what's coming with, with deep fakes and all, the, there is trouble on the yeah. horizon. Peter, every time somebody says something, I always say, you know the guy who can solve this? It's <laughs> Peter Thiel. Because we need a platform, and I mean left and right, a platform whose charter is the Bill of Rights. That's it. If you agree with the Bill of Rights, and you're not trying to shut anybody up, you believe in these things, these human principles, what make us human, come on, put your thing on here. We're not going to kick anybody off. We're not going to do anything. This is, a, this is a place where speech will be protected because thoughts are supposed to be dangerous. It's only the dangerous thoughts that led us to the moon. It's only the dangerous thoughts that invented television or the internet. It's a dangerous thought that 
that said, I wonder if I can make fire like the sky does. <laughs> yeah. That's a dangerous thought. You're going to burn everything down. Well, he didn't. Yeah. Well, I can't say more than if you saw my uh, chat with Eric Weinstein a couple weeks ago, the billionaire class is talking now. So there, there is some... Um, happy to hear that. Yeah. One other thing on that, and then uh, I will let your staff do other... I assume they have other work to do around here. Yeah, you people I, doing other work around I've here? I've got three other you, shows you know, you to got do things today. to do today, too. Um, do you think that if we get out of this thing, and, it, and it's basically okay, out of this sort of morass that we're in right now, and that it's basically okay, that we'll look back on this and think, whoa, there was something really good that came out of it. Because oh, yeah. yeah. Barack Obama was my biggest nemesis. You don't know, you don't know what it's like to come under attack until the president of the United <laughs> States, and I've had two of them now, yeah. is coming after you directly and using the force of his friends and allies to come after you. Who was the other one that went after you? Was it not Trump? Trump. It was Trump. Yeah, during, but, yeah, at the beginning. Oh, at the beginning. Yeah, at the right, beginning. right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, did he call you after you basically were like, all right, I'll... No. No, nothing. No, you didn't, you uh, didn't get anything? Nothing? No. 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 Right. Uh, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, uh, what, was, what were we talking about? That, that will come out on their side, oh, that we'll look back and this is good. Barack yeah. Obama and Donald Trump have been some of the best things that's ever happened to me. And I don't mean financially or, you know, whatever. I mean as a man. Because they've both taken me by the lapels and shoved me up against the wall and said, what is it you really believe? We are so blessed. Do you know that really, even my father's generation, he came at the end of, you know, he was born in 26, so he, you know, he saw World War II and stuff. But anybody who really grew up and lived from 1946 until now, we really have been very blessed. But we've also been cursed. Mm -hmm. No one has had to have everything about them challenged. I'm a better man. You're a better man. Because every time somebody throws you up against the wall, we will be a better country. We'll be a stronger, more vibrant, more free people if we behave ourselves and learn from what's throwing us up against the wall. That's how you end an interview, Beck. Good work, Thank brother. You.